Good. Let's pray together, and then we'll open up the scriptures. Thank you for these things that have been shared, Lord. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you are alive. You did die for our sins, paid for them on the cross. You rose from the dead, and you are alive today and working as we call upon you, as we trust you, as we pray. You work in our hearts. You work through us in the lives of other people. And so we thank you, Lord. And Lord, I pray that you'd come and work now as we open up the scriptures that you would pour out your Holy Spirit upon us and that you would teach us, that you would encourage us, that you'd strengthen us. Lord, I need your help in a big way to be in faithful faithfulness to your word and to be wise and to just have your heart, Lord. So help me and help all of us. We want to come before your word and say, teach us your word, God. And we ask that you would do that now. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's go ahead and turn to Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 and 5 is what we're going to focus on today. And if you need a Bible, we always like to say this, raise your hand, we want to bring one to you so that you can look on with us. So raise your hand, we'll bring you a Bible. And in the Bibles we're passing out, Philippians 4 is on page 985. And as I was thinking about this passage, I, I thought about how every pastor has favorite topics that he loves to preach. Okay, I've got mine, big time. You love to preach them. And that's why it's really wise to preach through a book of the Bible, because otherwise you'd be hearing my own favorite topics week after week after week after week. But if instead we're going through a book of the Bible, then you're going to get a more balanced diet of food from the Word. So you'll get the, the, whole, the whole counsel of God. But today's passage is one of my favorite topics. Woohoo! Okay, so I'm celebrating the topic of rejoicing in the Lord. Now, here's why this topic is so important to me. Uh, it's not just because I love joy and because I love the Lord, but here's what happened. When I first became a Christian, um, I did not see the importance of, of feelings, of heart. And I thought that the Christian life was just all about believing the right things and doing the right things. Willpower. And you just kind of squelch through your heart, you ignore your heart, you just, you know, whatever's going there, just to stuff that aside. We just believe the right things, we just do the right things. And, and the result of that was that my heart just kind of shriveled up. And I didn't have much heart connection with the Lord God through Jesus. I didn't have much experience of the person, the presence of Jesus by the Holy Spirit. I just got tired. But all that changed when I went to seminary and I, I, I took some of my dad's classes. Okay, that's the first thing. And then I had a friend who had just come out from studying under John Piper at Bethlehem College, and he brought me some of John Piper's articles. So I, I took my dad's classes, and I read some of John Piper's articles, and I was blown away by how often the Bible talks about feelings. It just stunned me, shocked me. Couldn't believe it. And that convicted me, because I, I wasn't rejoicing in the Lord, and I wasn't really loving other people. I was just believing the right things and doing the right things. My heart was shriveling up, like I said. And so I was convicted, and, and then I, I took some steps to say, God, change my heart. If you promise these things, if this is what you call us to do, only you can enable me to do what you call me to do, so help me. Please, come. And slowly but surely, the Lord started to take this hard heart and soften it and melt it 
and marinate it and tenderize it. And I started to love Christ and started to worship Christ and started to love his people and started to have compassion for the lost. And this heart has been profoundly changed by Jesus Christ through the word. And so the essence of that change or of, of what I saw is, in fact, this is one of the verses that I saw during that time in my life. And so I want to share with you more. I just want to unfold this, these two verses, Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 and 5. And so look at what Paul writes here. Again, this is page 985 in the Bibles we passed out. Philippians 4, 4 and 5. Paul says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Amazing words. Did you know that God calls us to do this? He says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Now, depending on where you're at, those words can stir up different feelings in our hearts. I mean, some of you may read those words and just say, yes. Oh, yes. And those words could be really encouraging to you because maybe just even this morning, in your own times with the Lord, God met you. Or maybe even this morning while we were worshiping and taking communion, the Holy Spirit just came and you saw Christ and you worshiped him and you loved him. And so you, you experienced Christ as your all-satisfying treasure, maybe even this morning, in your own time with the Lord or during our worship time. So for some of you, these words are like, yes, I love this stuff. For others of you, these words might be really discouraging. Because it may be that you, there's no joy in the Lord. I mean, you're here, you're, you're going to church, you're, you're, you're trying not to sin, you're trying to believe the right things, do the right things, but as much as you've maybe prayed, as much as you've like read chapter after chapter after chapter, you haven't experienced joy in the Lord, if you're honest. And so hearing these words can be very discouraging. But I tell you, God has good news for you this morning. Good news. Others of you, when you read these words, you may feel hopeless because your heart is so far from joy. Maybe your heart is discouraged this morning or fearful about something coming up or weighed down with guilt or lonely. And you can't imagine your heart being transformed to have joy in the Lord. And so reading these words might make you feel hopeless. This is never going to happen to me. God has good news for you this morning too. Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 and 5. Now let's start with this question. What does it mean to rejoice in the Lord? What do those words mean? Now, the Greek words, the New Testament was written in Greek, and the Greek word translated rejoice here, it's the word kairo, and it refers to a feeling of pleasure or delight. Feeling of pleasure or delight. And so it's, it's the feeling like you'd have when, like when your favorite team wins the Super Bowl. Yes! Okay? Pleasure, delight. All right? Or when your kids, as one of our church moms experienced this week, when your kids spontaneously bring you breakfast in bed, just because they want to show you how much they love you. Okay, moms? Pleasure, delight. Okay, that's what we're, what we're talking about here. Or when you see how fast your new computer is compared to your old one, zing, it's like feeling pleasure, okay, delight, trying to hit, to hit all, the, all the different people groups we have here. Okay, so since the, 
The Greek word means a feeling of pleasure and delight. Rejoicing in the Lord means a feeling of pleasure and delight in who Jesus Christ is. It's a feeling of pleasure and delight in the Lord Jesus. Okay, but now, it's often misunderstood, so let me just give you a couple things it does not mean to rejoice in the Lord. Rejoicing in the Lord is not the same thing as feeling pleasure in your circumstances. Okay, not the same thing. Paul's not saying, count your blessings, be happy, look at your circumstances, be happy. It's not a bad thing to count your blessings, but that's not the same as rejoicing in the Lord. Paul's talking about a joy that you can have in the Lord when all your circumstances are terrible. You can still feel pleasure and delight because Jesus Christ has not changed. He's standing before you with love, forgiveness, power, grace, goodness, sovereignty, authority. He hasn't changed when your circumstances aren't doing very well and so rejoicing in the Lord is not the same thing as feeling pleasure in your circumstances because you can be perfectly happy with your circumstances and not have any joy in the Lord, right? Don't think just because, well, I'm feeling pretty happy. Must have joy in the Lord. Unless it's joy in the Lord, it's not joy in the Lord. It's obvious, right? Okay? Also, this doesn't mean just being free from worry or discouragement. There's some overlap between those, but you get what I'm saying? I mean, you can be free from worry and discouragement, but not have joy in the Lord. Because joy in the Lord is joy in the Lord. That's what it is. Also, joy in the Lord does not mean pursuing earthly comforts. Okay, pastor said we should, we should pursue joy, and I'd be really happy if I, if I had this comfort and that comfort and that comfort. Please don't misunderstand. That's not what rejoicing in the Lord is. In fact, it's not what rejoicing in the Lord is at all, because joy in the Lord means being with Jesus on the Calvary Road. Like Paul says, the road to heaven passes through many tribulations. The Calvary Road will take you through trials. It will take you through persecution. It will take you through suffering. Following Jesus, he's on the path to calling you to sacrificial, risk-taking love to lay your life down for other people. So it'll be costly. It'll be costly. There'll be suffering there. But it'll be worth it because Jesus, the living Jesus Christ, will be there. You'll be fellowshipping with him on that road. Makes all the difference. Okay, so rejoicing in the Lord, then I hope you're seeing what it is and what it's not. It's a feeling of pleasure and delight in the Lord Jesus, in who this being is, and that you can know him, you can worship him, you can trust him, you can glorify him. That's what rejoicing in the Lord is. Okay, now with that in mind, let's look back at Philippians chapter 4, verse 4, and ask, how important is it that we rejoice in the Lord? Read that verse again. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Okay, notice, first of all, this is a command. It's a command. God is commanding us through Paul to rejoice in the Lord. It's not a suggestion. It's not a recommendation. It's not a, well, it would be nice if you could. Thou shalt rejoice in the Lord, is how you could read that. 
And again, the reason it's a commandment is because that matches the reality of the universe we live in. There is an infinitely glorious being in existence. God, the Father, who's revealed himself to us through sending Jesus to the earth so we could see, feel, touch, read, and then he died to pay for our sins. He rose from the dead showing that what his death accomplished actually happened. And so we can know God through the person of Jesus Christ. There is an infinitely glorious, majestic, loving, good, all-powerful, wise being who you can know and talk with, and fellowship with. And that's why God says, Thou shalt rejoice in the Lord, because Jesus is who He is. He's always all-satisfying. And so you you ought to rejoice in the Lord. And so it's a command. And notice also that Paul repeats this command. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. So he repeats it here. He's already said it back in chapter 3, verse 1, where he says, same book, Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. So three times Paul uh, repeats this command in Philippians. That's why Philippians is called the book of rejoicing in the Lord. So just think three times. Paul says to his readers, rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord. Did you hear me? Rejoice in the Lord. So it's, it's repeated. And then notice one other thing to show its importance. It's the word always. Chapter 4, verse 1, rejoice in the Lord always. So this is something that we are are always to be doing. Always. When things are going well and when things are not going well. When your kids are obeying you and when they're not obeying you. Okay, When you're healthy and when you're sick. And the reason we can always rejoice in the Lord is because Jesus Christ has not changed. Like I said, he's always standing before us with everything we need, all the wisdom we need, all the forgiveness we need, all the strength we need, all the guidance we need, all the joy we need. Everything we need is always standing before us in the person of Jesus Christ. And so rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. And again, I will say rejoice. So rejoicing in the Lord is really, really important. Now, can you you see why I would have been so struck in those first months of seminary, when I saw verses like this that my dad was pointing out to me and that John Piper was talking about, and my heart was just a shriveled up little hard stone, ah, this just blew me away, but it gave me great hope, because if God commands this, God will give this. We can't do anything God commands us to do unless he gives it to us, and God gives it to us. 2 Corinthians 9, 8, God is able to make all grace abound to you so that always, having all sufficiency in everything, you may have an abundance for every good deed, including rejoicing in the Lord always. It's all by God's grace. If he doesn't give it, we can't do it. He commands it. He will give it. We'll be able to do it. So be encouraged. It's that important. It's a command. It's repeated. And it's about always. Now, why is it so important? Why is rejoicing in the Lord so vitally important? And I thought it might be helpful. I just looked through the book of Philippians, and I found five reasons in the book of Philippians why rejoicing in the Lord is so important. I never really thought about that before, but five reasons from Philippians. Let me just go through them and see how how they impact you. So here's what I'm asking God to do in my heart and in our hearts. 
is that again, right now, some of you maybe you're thinking, well, maybe, or I'm not so sure. This sounds a little emotional to me, you know, whatever. But I'm asking God to use one of these five reasons or all five to persuade you now that this is of vital importance. This is crucial. So let's ask God to do that. First reason. It's because no joy compares to the joy of knowing Christ. That's a tall statement, huge statement. Like, really? Is this just like pastoral hyperbole? No. Look what Paul says. Chapter 3, verse 8. He says, Indeed, I count everything, everything in his life, as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. So knowing Christ, first of all, you can know Jesus Christ. Not just an idea to understand or a system of thought to study. It is that, but it's a person you can know. And the joy of knowing Christ far surpasses everything else. I can bear witness to that. Many of you can bear witness to that. The joy of knowing Christ is infinitely more satisfying. I mean that literally. Infinitely more satisfying than than anything else. So see, if you're not pursuing joy in knowing Christ, then you're seeking joy in something other than Christ. Right? Which means you're settling for a joy that will not satisfy you. You were created with a heart that longs for joy and it will be only satisfied for that longing for joy in the joy of the universe, Jesus Christ. So joy is not found in money, right? I mean, as much as you have more now than maybe you had when you were like five years old and, and, and you were probably happier back then, okay? It's not more money. It's not in fame. Um, it's not in anything else, okay? Joy is found... In Christ, only Jesus Christ will satisfy you. And so if only Jesus Christ will satisfy your craving for joy, can you see how important it is that you, re- you seek your joy and you pursue your joy in him? Second, this is so important. It's because joy in the Lord is an essential, essential part of saving faith. Look at what Paul says in chapter 1, verse 25. He says, convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith. So Paul's aim in ministry was so that people would progress, make progress in faith. But that wasn't his only aim in ministry. It wasn't just that they make progress in faith. His aim in ministry was also that they would have joy in faith. Paul was not content if people weren't having joy in knowing Christ. He wouldn't have been content about that. Now, why? Why is our joy so important to Paul? It's because if we're not seeking our joy in Jesus Christ, if if we don't have faith in Christ to satisfy us, then we're going to be having faith in something other than Christ to satisfy us. We're going to be trusting something besides Jesus to satisfy us. But if we're trusting something else like money or fame or comfort to satisfy us, then we're not trusting Christ. There's a real problem with our faith then. 
Which is why rejoicing in the Lord is an essential part of saving faith. If you're trusting money to satisfy you, you're not trusting Christ, and you should raise serious questions about are you saved or not. And I don't know, I mean, we, we all go through sin from time to time. I, mean, I, I deal with love of fame, love of money, comforts, I deal with all those things, we all do. But if the, if the trend of your life is seeking your joy in money, then you're not trusting Christ. And that should raise serious questions as to how can you say you're trusting Christ if you're, if you're not trusting Christ to satisfy you. So can you see how important this is? That's why Paul says, my purpose in ministry is to see people make progress in faith and to see them have joy in faith. Because it's an essential part of saving faith. Third, it's because rejoicing in the Lord is what most highly honors him. Philippians 1, verses 20 to 21. Look at what Paul writes here. He says, As it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. So Paul wants to honor Christ. Jesus loved me, gave himself up for me, rose from the dead for me. I want to honor my Savior for the rest of my life. So how does he honor him? Next part of that verse, verse 21. For, here's the because, to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. So Paul honored Christ by rejoicing in him. When people saw that for Paul, the joy of living was Christ, for me to live is Christ, and that he didn't care about dying, losing everything on earth, because he would gain more of Christ. If someone stands before you who says, my joy in living is Jesus Christ, and I don't care about dying because I get more of him, what does that glorify in his life? Christ! You must think, wow, either he is an idiot, or Jesus Christ must be real and satisfying like that. Paul is not an idiot. Jesus Christ is real, Jesus Christ does satisfy like that. And when you live that way and die that way, Christ is glorified. Christ is honored. And our highest calling is to glorify Christ, to honor Christ. For me, Paul says, to live as Christ, to die as gain. That's how he does that, by rejoicing in him, in life and in death. Fourth, it's because rejoicing in the Lord keeps us safe. Philippians chapter 3, verse 1. Finally, my brothers... Rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. It's a puzzling thing to say. To tell you to rejoice in the Lord keeps you safe. From what? What does it keep you safe from? From sin. The only reason you sin is because your heart is empty and you're thinking sin will satisfy you. It's the only reason you sin. Nobody sins out of duty, right? I ought to sin a little bit today. I'm a sinner, okay? No, no, no. The reason you sin is because your heart's empty and because you think that this sin is going to satisfy you. It won't. Never has. Has it ever? No. But sin blinds us. We think it will. And so we sin because our hearts are empty and we want to be satisfied. But see, when we rejoice in the Lord, what happens to our hearts? He fills our hearts. Our hearts become full. And when your heart is full, you won't be tempted with the puny little pleasures that sin offers. Because you're drinking deep of living water. right? Your thirst is quenched. You're not going to 
suck of the little brackish, moldy little puddle down there. You got cold, crisp, clean, living water satisfying your soul, right? So it'll keep you safe from sin. Mercy Hill Church, I want you to be safe from sin. For, for the years ahead, when we're in Abu Dhabi, I want you to be safe from sin. Okay, this is how. Preventative medicine. Drink deep. Let them satisfy you. Fifth, last reason. Because rejoicing in the Lord makes us reasonable toward others. That's right there in verses 4 and 5 of Philippians 4. Notice exactly what Paul says in, in these two verses. It's very interesting, especially verse 5. Verse 4 Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. And then let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Notice in verse 5, Paul does not command us to be reasonable. Okay, He assumes that we're reasonable, and he says, let it be shown to everybody. Well, where did that reasonableness come from that Paul's assuming? There's lots of times when I am not reasonable. I'm cranky. Right? I'm bothered. I'm frustrated. Anybody else sometimes not be reasonable? Okay, me and Paul Walton. Okay, good. All right. Okay, take that off the tape, though. Okay, get off the tape. All right. So, so where did that reasonableness come from that Paul's assuming we have? It came from verse 4, from rejoicing in the Lord. I mean, think about the times when you are unreasonable, cranky, bothered. Why are you that way? Every time, it's because your heart is empty. Every time, you have an empty heart. It's bugging you. It hurts. You don't like an empty heart. None of us do, so you get, you get bothered. Okay? Right? But see, if you rejoice in the Lord, he will fill your empty heart. He will satisfy you. He will fill you. And he will so fill you that there will be an overflow of, of love. See, this word reasonable, it's not just like you're some logician. It's the Greek word which means to be, I mean, reasonable is a good translation, but it can mean be gracious, it's sometimes it's translated to be kind, loving, is the idea there. Okay, so joy in the Lord flows out in love for other people. And so if you want to be more loving, we all, we all need to be more loving. I need to be more loving. The, the key is to start with having your heart be filled up with the Lord. He will satisfy you. Okay, so can you see? Here's five reasons. Now, did the Lord use one of these to think, make you think, this is really, really important. I hope, I hope that's what's happened. Or maybe all five of them. Are you seeing the importance of this? This is vital, church. But now there's one last question that is so, so important, and that is how do we do this? How do we rejoice in the Lord? How do we go about obeying this command? And I thought the best way I could explain this was by telling you what happened to me Thursday morning. So here's me Thursday morning. I, the alarm clock went off, got up, was early, tired, went back to my study, sat down at my desk, and and I was not rejoicing in the Lord. Okay, um, I was feeling overwhelmed by how much packing needed to be done to move to Abu Dhabi. That was just overwhelming. I was feeling insecure and fearful about an appointment I had that day that was just like way over my head. Okay, and then I was just feeling blah for. You know, and, and who knows why, all right? Kind of my default mode sometimes. Overwhelmed, insecure and fearful, and blah. Okay, now, is overwhelmed and fearful and insecure and blah, is that rejoicing in the Lord? Okay, it doesn't, it's not rocket science here. Okay, that, that was not rejoicing in the Lord. 
And so the first step in rejoicing in the Lord is to be honest about the condition of your heart. Proverbs 4.23 says, Watch over your heart with all diligence, for from it flow the springs of life. And we need to, to, to keep tabs on our hearts. What's going on in there? How am I feeling? We don't live based on feelings, but feelings show what you're trusting. They show that clearly. And at that moment, I was not rejoicing in the Lord. So, so get into the habit of asking yourself throughout the day, what's going on in my heart? What am I rejoicing in right now? Is it Downton Abbey's on tonight? Is that like the main thing that's, you know, okay, it's a good day. Downton Abbey's on. Is it like getting your work done? Okay. I mean, honestly, ask yourself over this last week, what, what have you found the greatest pleasure in? Has it been in worshiping Jesus Christ? glorifying Him, knowing Him, beholding Him, fellowshipping with Him. Has that been your greatest joy this last week? And I would guess for some of you, you'd say, well, honestly, no. But see, we've got to be honest here. Let's not, let's not play games about this. My heart, much of the time, is not rejoicing in the Lord. This is not something that, like, once you become a really committed Christian, it's like steady state, hmm, just me and joy and Jesus, you know. It's, man, I was like, Boom! Oh, all right. That's, this is my heart, okay? I can say it now because you're sending me out and you won't fire me, all right? We're good. We're good. So how do we obey this command? The first step is to be honest about the condition of your heart. Okay, and then second, this is so crucial, understand why you aren't rejoicing in the Lord. I tell you straight up, if, if your greatest joy right now is that Downton Abbey's on tonight, and what's going to happen with whoever did whatever last week, you know? Okay, here's why you're seeking your pleasure in that and finding more pleasure in that than in Christ. It's because your sin is blinding you to Jesus at that moment. Your sin's blinding you to Jesus. Jesus Christ is standing before you, as I've said already this morning, with everything you need. He's ablaze with love and glory and goodness. You have every reason to trust him. He will give you all the grace you need, all the forgiveness you need, all the guidance you need, all the help, all the joy, all the satisfaction, all the pleasure you crave and long for, all the fellowship you long for. It's in him. And he is standing before you with all of it. And and you're like, I'm not seeing it. Well, there's a reason you're not seeing it. Okay, This is called sin. And sin is blinding you to Jesus. So that Thursday morning, as I was sitting there overwhelmed with packing and insecure about this appointment and just feeling blah, this is why sin was blinding me. This is so important to understand. See, because if it's sin blinding you, you don't have the power to overcome sin. You yourself, by yourself, you don't have the power to overcome that. Okay, so if you're saying just, okay, I've got to just rejoice in the Lord. I've got to just, no, see, and unless this is taken away, you won't. But here's the beautiful thing. God promises that he will heal your spiritual blindness. He will remove the blinders so you'll be able to see. Many of you have experienced this, where you go from you know, blah, lust, covetousness, pride, worry, fear. All those are because your, 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 your sins are blinding you to Jesus. And then all of a sudden, it's like, I'm healed. I see you. What was I thinking? You're glorious. Okay, so it's so important to understand why you aren't rejoicing in the Lord. It's because of sin blinding you to Christ. So just acknowledge that to yourself. And then the third step, confess this sin and trust Christ to forgive you. Don't make excuses for it. 
confess it as sin. And understand, Jesus paid for that sin on the cross. He died for that sin. And so as you confess your sin before the Lord, you can be assured that you are completely forgiven, clothed in his righteousness. God's looking upon you with love and delight, and God's going to give you everything you need to help you at this moment. Okay? It's good. You're good. You're forgiven. Okay? So confess that before the Lord. And so that's what I did Thursday morning. I just said, Father, how can I feel nothing towards you and your Holy Son how can I not trust you for this packing? How can I not trust you for this appointment? How can I feel blah when, when you are before me? It's because I'm, I'm just, my sin is blinding me. Forgive me. Help me. That's the third step. Fourth, ask God to conquer your sin and change your heart. So I knew I couldn't conquer sin's power by myself. I know I couldn't just choose to rejoice in the Lord because Sin is more powerful than me, than my choices. But I also knew that God promised to help me if I would ask him. And so I sat at my desk and I I said, Father, set me free from sin's blinding power now. Break Satan's power, please. Open my eyes to see you. Bring the, the work of the Holy Spirit to enlighten the eyes of my heart. Show me your glory. I just prayed things like that. Father, come. I can't do this. Unless you set me free from sin's blinding power, I will stay blind through this day. I don't want to stay blind through this day. Help me. This is so important. Do you see? This is so crucial to get. You can't choose to rejoice in the Lord by your own willpower. That's one of the reasons so many of you are discouraged is because you've tried. You can't do that. But if we will pray and ask God to open our eyes and then take this next step, he will. And what's the next step? Fifth. Set your heart prayerfully on the truth of who God is in Christ. So here's what I did. I, I opened up my Bible. In the back, I got my Bible reading plan. And Genesis 35 was my first, ver- first passage to read that morning. So I opened up to Genesis 35. I started reading. And in verse 3, I struck gold. Genesis 35, verse 3. Jacob. You know Jacob? Jacob. Sinful man, liar, deceiver, okay? But here's what he, here's what he says about, or here's, he describes God in verse 3. He says, Let us arise and go to Bethel, so that I may make there an altar to the God who, he says two things about God, answers me in the day of my distress. That's the first one. And number two, has been with me wherever I have gone. You know, I knew I'd struck gold here. But I wasn't feeling it. I mean, I, I was reading it, but I wasn't seeing it. And so I prayed some more. So I, I just want to illustrate, this is, this is, this is the fight of faith. This is, this is war. Help me! I'm reading that you deliver us from all of our distresses, and I'm just not feeling anything. Help me to feel this. Open my eyes. Break me free from the power of sin. And so I, I, I prayed some more, and then I thought about these statements that Jacob made. Every time he faced distress and called upon God, God answered him. What a God. Jacob was a sinful man. He was a repentant sinful man, but he was a sinful man. I mean, he had lied to his brother, cheated his brother. I mean, it was was terrible. But every time he called upon God, repentantly, sorrowing over his sin, asking God for help, God delivered him, God helped him. Every time. 
What an amazingly gracious and merciful God. And of course, the reason God could be so gracious to this sinful man, Jacob, is because of what God would do through Jesus Christ on the cross, right? Jesus paid for Jacob's sins so God could forgive Jacob when Jacob cried out for mercy. What a gracious, beautiful God. So, So I cried out to God in my distress of all the work of packing. Help us, Father, pack. I just tried to cast that burden upon him. And help me with this appointment today that's over my head. Help me. So I called upon God, and, and my faith started to rise. I could feel my heart start to change. I could start to see a little bit more of the, the beauty of God in Jesus Christ who answers us, sinful us, whenever we call upon him. And then there's the second line that Jacob says, that God had been with him wherever Jacob had gone. And it just struck me. I mean, huge God, creator God, massively powerful God, little puny Jacob on earth, little sinful puny Jacob on earth, and God is with Jacob wherever he goes. God's eyes are on Jacob wherever he goes. And and yours, you're, I mean, because God's infinite, God's loving Jacob, caring for Jacob wherever he goes. What a glorious God. And then it dawned on me that the God of Jacob is my God in Christ, through Jesus Christ. So over this period of praying and thinking about Genesis 35, verse 3, God changed my heart. The blinders were lifted. I saw that God answers us in all of our distresses. I saw that God is with me wherever I go. And faith rose, joy came, peace came. My heart was changed. And I was feeling joy in the Lord because of Genesis 35, chapter 3. That's how we rejoice in the Lord. You can't turn feelings on and off with the decision of the will. Okay? But you can cry out to God, and you can open up the Bible, and you can say, show me your glory, help me, meet me. You can do that. And he will. And you will experience your heart change. And because it's something that he has done, as you've called about him, the glory will go to him. You get the joy, and he gets the glory. And that's how rejoicing in the Lord works. Okay, so what what questions does this raise? We've just got a couple minutes for some questions here. What questions does this stir up? Is that really what the passage is saying? Is that what's going on in Philippians? Is that accurate? Have I overstated something? Joe. Thanks, Jerry. So it seems like it's pretty easy for Paul to rejoice. It's <laughs> a rhetorical question. Okay, he was he was just he was at the uh, the Hyatt in uh, Jerusalem, had a little pina going on and you know poolside thing. No, no, no. Paul was in prison, facing death, the prospect of death, and uh, and and Paul had suffered terribly, and he would continue to suffer terribly. So, Paul. For Paul to talk about rejoicing in the Lord, is, is, it, it could only mean that Jesus Christ supernaturally can change and fill our hearts and give us joy in circumstances like that. Because Jesus doesn't change. Jesus Christ does not change. You can be in prison. He is standing before you with everything you need at that moment. Okay? Is that what you were getting at? All right. Scott. So, when you use the word command, yes. and it is a command, mm-hmm. A lot of times when I think about it, just that, that just sucks, sucks the joy out of it. Good point. But, um, but it is. It's, he's telling us to delight in God, and I like the the idea, the metaphor of well, the, the, the 
concept of drinking from the living water and God's saying, you know, it's go do this thing that's going to be just so enriching. And yes. It's like, you know, rejoice in God and, and it, it's a command to do it. And it's, I just kind of picture a child, you know, you're telling your kid, no, really, you are the whole That's right. <laughs> that's right. That's right. He doesn't know it because he hasn't experienced it yet. Yeah. And he's kind yeah. Of like, Nah, I don't want to do that. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of like that car commercial where the kid, the guy shows him the, the Grand Canyon or whatever. Yes. You know, yes. It's kind of like the kid doesn't know it. Mm-hmm. And it's like once you've experienced it, it's like you look back and it's like. Wow, yeah. It's exactly right. That's right. Boy, it's so true. Thank you. Excellent. Yes. A long time ago, when I first received Jesus Christ as my Savior and Lord, um, reading through Scripture, one little verse jumped out at me and has stuck with me through this uh, this very day, almost no, I am 70 and a half already but it's really, it's always come to me and uh, of course reading scripture further after that I had the revelations and the word, the verse is when Nehemiah is facing a terrible building project that there's no mm-hmm. way he's going to be able to do it mm-hmm. the joy of the Lord it's my strength. Yes. Ooh. Has carried me through many Beautiful. Yes. Okay. And he will keep strengthening you. Okay, let's do this for the sake of time. I'd like us all to stand. And here's what I want us to do. Sometimes um, the Lord wants us to have other people pray for us to have those blinders removed. And I would just like to invite you to come forward. If, if you've got if you've got a blinder over you, and again we all we all do often frequently, but if if you would like us to pray for you, some somebody will be up. In fact, whose home group is praying for people today? Okay, yours. Okay, why don't you, Chris and, and Minglan's home group, come on up. But if if you would like to receive prayer to have the blinders, whatever blinders you, it might be a blinder of fear that you just you just you just can't shake it, or a blinder of um, worry you just you just can't shake, or maybe it's a it's a pride or a greed or a covetous or I mean all the different kinds of you know hopelessness, but there's some blinder that's in the way. Um, come on up and let us pray for you. We will keep this private and confidential, but but we would love to pray and ask God to come and work. Sometimes when two or three gather together to pray for something, there's even more of God's power. In His mercy, He does that. So come on up right now, and we want to be able to be able to pray for you. So if you if you've got a blinder you'd like prayer for coming up. There should just be a bunch of you. Come on. Come on. Don't be bashful. We're all family. We all would be up here at sometimes or others. Great, Daniel. What else? Who else? Don't be bashful. Okay, good. Christina, who else? Great. Again, this is just the Holy Spirit stirring your heart. That's why this should be happening, not because I'm up here or because help Steve not feel awkward because nobody's coming up. I want God working in your hearts. Okay. So let's. Anybody else? Last call. Let's. Please. Can we get a mic up, Steve? Uh, go ahead. Just read it real loud, Kathy. Is of a contrite and lowly spirit, 
To revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite. That's what we're talking about. That's it. Okay? Nailed it. Isaiah 66, 1 and 2. Isaiah 57.15. Excellent. So jot that one down. Okay. Let's all just extend our hands. We want to pray. I mean, these will be praying up here, but let's just let's do a, a kind of a, a corporate prayer now. Lord, we ask that right now you'd come. Lord, we know what it's like to have sin's blinders on us so we're not seeing you. We all deal with this often. We're just family here. And so, Lord, we pray for our brothers and sisters who, who need your special help right now. And we ask, Father, in Jesus' name, we pray that you'd come. And that you would right now remove those blinders by your supernatural power through Jesus' death on the cross, that you would do this right now, that you'd open their eyes, that you'd enlighten the eyes of their hearts, that you would say, see, and that they would see. Lord, only you can do this, but you promise to do this when we pray. And then, Lord, as they as they spend time, maybe this afternoon, opening up your word and setting their hearts on the truth of who you are, Lord. Let them see and feel and worship and be filled once again with the joy of the Lord. So we pray that you would do this. So up front here, you guys just keep praying. Let me just pray for all of us. Now, Lord, help us to do this this week. Help us to keep tabs on our hearts. Help us to be honest about what's going on. And help us to see how crucially important it is that we rejoice in the Lord always. So put this on us as a church body, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.